Welcome to Bible study. We're so glad you're here. It's an exciting night here on Westcott with a band that we can't pronounce its name playing at the Westcott. Uh, so it's always exciting when new bands come that no one knows how to say their name. Right, Don? I'm excited. Yeah, Don's excited. So we're going to begin tonight in prayer and ask God's blessing. Father, thanks for your presence. Thank you for your love. God, we thank you for an opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus. We ask you that we'd have ears to hear and we'd have open hearts just to receive all that you want to say. Pray our minds would be open too to hear you tonight and, and to really take what you say deep into us. And I pray, Father, that you would bring change. I pray for a change of heart. I pray for a change of mind. I pray, God, change of perspective tonight. And I ask you, God, to do really a miraculous work in us to change our hearts, change our minds, and bring us more into line with what you're saying, more into line with who you are, more into line with your plan and your purposes for us. So thanks for this opportunity. We ask, God, that you have your way in us. God, right inside of us, have your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles... I turn to Romans chapter 10. If you need a Bible, you can grab one off a table or from somewhere close. Romans 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse 3. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. All right, the key words to this is their own. Right, so I want you to kind of keep that in mind as we're rolling through this verse. And just keep in mind that phrase, their own. And, and there's reasons why that's key to this. But uh, the people that he's talking about here in Romans 10.3 are religious people. They were the Jewish people of Paul's day. They were religious. They had... Uh, been brought up in a faith, brought up in a way of going about seeing God, understanding God, learning about God. They'd been brought up in a way of interpreting the scriptures. That many of them had learned the scriptures from the time that they were young. And so they had a grasp on God in a certain way. But they refused to see him any differently than the way that they understood him currently. And that's what Paul was referring to when he talked about their own. The problem was is that Jesus had brought a revelation of God. He had brought a revelation of the righteousness of God. He had brought a revelation of what it meant to live in that righteousness, to experience that righteousness, and to benefit and be in the midst of that righteousness. Up until this time, the people had had their own ideas about what righteousness was. They, in many ways, had made some stuff up. In other ways, they had tried to follow what they'd been taught. In other ways, they had read on their own and come up with their own ideas about what it was to be righteous or what it was to be right with God. And so they had come to this place, wherever they were, and at this point were just refusing to hear the truth. They made up their minds. And here's the problem, that once they made up their minds, they became ignorant of how God had intended things to be. And so this is a real problem. 
Because it's not just the Jewish people of Paul's day that this has happened to. But it is this voluntary ignorance that people in every age have done the same since. This is not unique to the time of Paul. It's not unique to the Jewish people of Paul's day. But people in every age that has come from this time to the time that we live in now to right now have done and continue to do the same thing that he's talking about here in Romans chapter 10 and verse 3. They've made up their minds. And because they've made up their minds, they're ignorant to how God works. They just don't want to know. And when I say ignorant, it means they overlook it. They misapprehend it. In other words, it's not they're ignorant because no one's told them. It's not they're ignorant because they don't have ample resources to find out what the truth is. It's not they're ignorant because they just haven't heard yet. They're ignorant. They're willingly ignorant. They choose to overlook how God works because they want to maintain their own ideas and their own ways of seeing things. And again, I'm going to say this again. This is true of every age from the time that Paul is speaking here until the day that we sit now. There will always be, or at least there has always been, excuse me, people who are willingly ignorant because they just want to believe what they want to believe. And that's all there is to it. And it could be because that's what they were taught. Or it could be that's what they have dedicated their religious life to. And maybe they believe that if they do enough good things for people, then God will like them. And so they've dedicated their time and effort to doing good things for people. A noble cause, but that's not how God likes us, and it's not how we obtain righteousness. But a person who's dedicated themselves to doing good things for people doesn't want to hear that. The person has dedicated themselves to growing their own righteousness through doing nice things for people. They don't want to hear that that's not how you do it. They've invested their time. They've invested their effort in it. It's what their mama taught them or their daddy taught them. And it's what they've decided that they were going to do and how it's going to work. And so they keep themselves willingly ignorant of how God actually works. Which is really too bad. Because part of the issue, part of the issue, is that they don't want to submit to something new. You see, Jesus had this whole idea that Paul preached, this whole concept of the gospel, this whole concept that Jesus preached, the whole uh, idea of how this is going to come to pass, it all leads to... Jesus. It all leads to Christ. It all leads to his free gift that he's offering people. And people just look at that. They look at him. They look at the free gift and they just say no. So the Jewish people of Paul's day, they refused. Many of them. Some of them didn't, but many of them did. They just didn't want to hear it. It didn't line up with how they had aligned their lives. It didn't line up with how their ideas were. It didn't line up with what they had been taught. It didn't line up with what their mom believed or their dad believed or whatever the case may be. It didn't line up with it. And so they remained willingly ignorant. In other words, they overlooked, they misapprehended what they had been told. And so they were trusting in themselves. And it is by its very nature a lack of submission. 
click I don't want to submit to this other idea. I don't want to submit to this teaching. I don't want to submit to the work of Jesus. I don't want to submit to what the revelation has been that Jesus has brought. I don't want to submit to that. So I'm not going to. But that trusting in self, that voluntary ignorance, is criminal. Criminal. In other words, there is a guilt associated with it. And you can say, well, I, I didn't know. Well, that's not really the case. You can say, well, I never heard that before. That's definitely not the case. If you're sitting here right now, you've heard this before. We've all heard this before. And if we're still choosing to hold on to our ideas, we're still choosing to trust in ourselves. we're still choosing to not submit to the revelation of Jesus, then there's something criminal about that. And I don't mean the cops are going to come get you. I don't mean a criminal like that. I want you to see it, though, that it carries with it a certain amount of responsibility on your part because you're willingly ignorant. And you're unwilling to accept what Christ has done. Somebody look at uh, verses 18 through 21 of Romans 10. Go down to verse 18. Romans 10, verse 18 so read verses 18, 19, 20, and 21. What do they say? But I asked, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voices have gone out into all the earth, their words the ends of the world. Again I asked, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not nations. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to disobedient and obstinate people. Right, so what's he saying here? All right, you got you got to understand, this is related to verse 3. And so what's he saying to these people? What's his word to them? What's your excuse? What's the excuse? Did you not hear? Of course you did. And then he starts quoting Old Testament scriptures that point to the truth of what he's saying. He's saying the truth of this was made known to you. The truth of this was prophesied. The truth of this was spoken by Moses. The truth of this had been already laid out through the Old Testament. There's no excuse. There's no reason for you to be ignorant. And that's what he's telling them. Like, there's just no reason. You've heard this before. You've seen this before. You've read this before. This is not new information. And so what Paul is saying to the people here, and what God is saying to the people here, is that your willing ignorance falls on you. It's not on God. You can get all bitter with God and angry with God. Oh, I didn't know. Nope, that's not going to fly. That's not flying anywhere. And you get all mad with somebody else or bitter, oh, he didn't tell me, or she didn't tell me, or this person over here, they didn't let me know. It's their fault. Or whatever it is. No, it, it comes down to us. It comes down to our submission. My submission to the truth that God wants us to live in. It's my submission. And I'm either going to submit to that, or I'm not. And for whatever reason, and we can go over the reasons why I might not want to submit, but who cares? Really? 
Who cares? My my submission is my decision. Right? And I'm either going to do it or I'm not. And I can have my reasons or I don't have my reasons or whatever it is. But when it comes right down to it, I'm making a decision. It's my way or God's way. Well, your choice. And it really is your choice. It really is your choice. And I, I, I bless you with that choice of your way or God's way. Yeah. You don't have to prove that. Right? Nobody here has to prove it. It's either your way or God's way. Nobody has to prove that. If you want your way, it's your way. All right? Don't need to prove that. You don't need to go out and do it just to prove it. It's a fact. You can go your way. You can do what you want to do. That's, a, that's, that's your prerogative. You can do that. That's not really the point, though. And people who go out and try to prove, oh, I'm just going to do what I want to do. You don't need to prove that. You can just go do it to your own self-destruction as much as you want. Go ahead. There's nothing to prove. So I can either do it my way or I can do it God's way. That's my choice. It's your choice. All our choices. We're all making that choice. And there's nothing to prove either way. It's wherever you're going to choose to live. Somebody look at uh, Peter 1 and verse 2. 1 Peter 1 verse 2. First Peter one and verse two. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. All right. Within that verse, you see a thumbnail sketch of something. Read that again. Just the beginning of that verse again. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ. Okay, so what do you think? And, and I want you to look at that. There's a couple key things there, but to us and instructive for us, what's the most important thing that's said there? Okay, there's foreknowledge, but that's God's foreknowledge, right? Okay, what's the next part? What's, as far as we're concerned, what do you think the most important part of that verse is? For obedience. Right. Now, all of it's important because of all that Christ has done. But what releases what Christ has done into our life? This is what I want you to see about the verse. What releases what Christ has done? It's our obedience. Because all that other stuff is there. It's all been taken care of by Him. It's all been done on our behalf. So we're benefiting from it. We can benefit from it. But what releases that into our life is obedience. That's how we see it. That's how we recognize it. And so the idea of obedience or submission is an important part about us really entering into all that Christ has done. So, so he's done all these great things. He's provided all this stuff. And we know all the words. We know all the words of, of righteousness and all the words of justification and sanctification and, and righteousness and, and, and salvation and all these different things. We know the words. But how are those going to be released into our life? Well, they're released into our life. And, and these are two sides of the same coin, but they're released into our life through faith and obedience. 
All right. So our submission in is is in its very nature a form of obedience in that we're bringing ourselves into line with what Christ has done. And so, well, are you going to believe what Christ has done before you obey? Or are you going to obey before you believe? I don't care. They're two sides of the same coin. Did the disciples obey or believe first? Can't tell you. Jesus said, follow me. They left everything they had and followed him. Did they believe or obey first? I don't know. I'm not even trying to figure that out. Well, they must have had faith in him or they wouldn't have followed him. Well, they followed him, but by following him, did they? is that how they put their faith in? I mean... What? I don't know. But they're, they're two sides of the same coin. You see, but that's how things are released in us. That's how truth is released in us. That's how this idea, these, this concept of the gospel, this, the things that Christ has done is released in us is through that. And so we have to begin somehow, some way, through our faith or obedience, we need to begin to trust God. And we have a full opportunity of knowing. We have that opportunity. That's why all those verses that we read, 18 through 21 in Romans 10, that's our full opportunity. It's like, have you heard? Of course you have. And then you've got the whole scripture to speak to you about it. And so now you're put down to it. Am I going to trust him? Am I going to believe him? Am I going to obey him? Is this who I am? Am I going to accept what he's done or am I just going to keep making something else up? Because that's the other side of the coin for us in this sense. Is that we're either going to trust him and believe him and, and we're, going to, we're going to accept what he's done or we're going to live in voluntary ignorance and thereby just keep making stuff up? Because that's what you do when you're living in voluntary ignorance is you're just making stuff up. People say stuff about God all the time. I have no idea where it comes from. I mean, I get shocked. I still am shocked when people tell me stuff about God. Like, like just stupid things that they'll say. And they really, really believe it. And when I say stupid, I, I mean that with without any respect whatsoever for it because it isn't anything that I ever would believe, ever would ever see, ever even know about God. And I have no respect for it because it leads other people down the same path of ignorance or superstition. God has clearly revealed himself in certain ways to us. He's clearly showed us who he is. And we need to come into line with that. And sometimes we need somebody to tell us that our idea about God is just stupid. That way we can leave it behind. People don't want to, people don't want to step on your toes. People don't want to tell you that your idea about, oh, everybody just believes what they want to believe. Everybody has their own personal faith and all this other stuff. Yeah, not really. Not really. I mean, yes, in the sense that you can believe whatever you want to believe. Absolutely. But we have been given a revelation that's a clear revelation of who God is, who Christ is, and the work that He's done for us. And if we can bring ourselves into line with that, we're going to live a lot better than just making stuff up. And it's not just us. It's everybody out there that's going to live a lot better if they can come into line with what Christ has said and what Christ has done. So let's look at making stuff up. Somebody look at Matthew 5.20. Because Jesus spent the Gospels confronting people making stuff up. Like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, 
They, they made stuff up. Like the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. Why? Because they made something up about it. They didn't want to believe in it, so they didn't believe in it, so they just made something up about it. The Pharisees made up stuff about the law, and they added stuff to the law. Little things, little, little things that they could do. And, and they made stuff up about it. And so Jesus confronted them about that. Like, you just can't make stuff up. Because by making stuff up, you put other people into bondage. That's the problem with it. So, what does Matthew 5.20 say? Anybody? Alright, so what do you think he meant by that? Who's he talking to there, Tricia? Uh, the, crowd. the crowd. And what's he trying to say to them? Did you think he meant by playing their own game? Because I don't. I don't. I think what he's saying is, your righteousness needs to be real. Your righteousness needs to mean something. Because these guys over here, they're just making stuff up. And so he wasn't encouraging them to keep making stuff up. He wasn't encouraging them to make more stuff up than these guys already made up. That's not what he was trying to do. He was saying, they just made stuff up. You need something real. I mean, you think about his disciples and how they were accused of what? I mean, they're accused of stealing. They were accused of whatever, of breaking the Sabbath. Jesus was accused of being a glutton, a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I mean, his righteousness exceeded that of the Pharisees, but the Pharisees were accusing him of being a drunkard. Right? Right. So what he was saying to them wasn't, oh, out Pharisee the Pharisees, which is probably what you were taught about that verse, maybe, in your Sunday school class or wherever you learned about it. Then he wasn't telling out Pharisee the Pharisees. He said, those guys are making stuff up. Get on to something real. You need something that makes sense, something that's real, something that's actually been provided for you. And stop making stuff up. How about Matthew 6, uh, verses 2 through 5? Matthew 6, verses 2 through Alright, so so here's an example of con confronting a practice and an idea and a way of seeing things. So, so what was the current way? How do you show yourself righteous? If you're going to give to the poor, what do you need to do? <laughs> give it to the poor! Everybody look! And so what does Jesus say when he confronts that? No, don't do that! No, stop it. That's not how God does things. That's how you do things. You made that up. You don't get anything for that. Uh, he also said you already got your reward. Absolutely, because that's... People seeing you, you got your reward. 
But that's what they were going for, Dave. That's what they were doing. They wanted people to see them, and so they got their reward. That's what they were going for. They were making stuff up. That was the problem. They just kept making stuff up. And it moved away from God, and it moved toward man. Isn't it still though? Didn't I say that that is in every age since this time? Yeah. It still is. And that's the problem. That's what people are making up. And they're still making it up. You just look around. It's like, as soon as you leave this place and you forget what I said here tonight, you're going to hear somebody out there say something. It's like, oh, that makes sense. No, it doesn't. And that's why Jesus kept confronting it and confronting it and confronting it. Because, because it's wrong. It's not right. And it's not how God works. And it's not the way things are done in the kingdom. It's wrong. But yet it persists. This all persists through every generation and through every age. These ideas, these horrible ideas continue to persist. It's due. Because here's the bad part of it. It's like, when I'm good, then God likes me. And when I'm bad, then God does bad things to me. Yeah? Really? That's because it is South Park. Because it is. Yeah. Because it is. It's that, it's that kind of stuff that, that South Park makes fun of. Because it doesn't make any sense. There are those societal norms that don't make any sense because somebody just made them up. How do you get out of it? How do you get out of it? Well, it's my way or it's God's way. You want to keep doing it your way? Again, you don't need to prove that. Just keep doing it your way. You don't need to do that to spite anybody. You're spiting yourself by doing that. You're hating yourself by doing that. So, you want to keep doing that? You want to keep hating yourself? I beg you not to, but you have every right to do it, and you have every freedom to do that. Or, you can do it God's way. In other words, your rebellion of will, your rebellion of will to do it your way, will validate your own righteousness. And you will prove something by your own merit, whatever that is. But I'll tell you something else, you will judge yourself by your own failure also. And you're a lot harsher than God is likely. I'd rather throw myself into the hands of a merciful God. You remember David? He was given three choices by the prophet. And of those three choices that the prophet gave, he's like, these three things can happen to you. He says, I don't want to fall into the hands of men. He goes down the list. He says, I want to put myself in your hands. Because he understood something about God. And that's God's full of mercy and grace. And we have every opportunity to put ourselves in God's hands right now. We do. To take it out of our hands, to stop validating our own righteousness, try to try to do something by our own merit, a rebellion of our will against God, and we can take on God's way. And and you can be and we can talk about the most righteous of things and Christian of things, if you want to, about ways that we validate our own righteousness. It could be and, it, and none of these things are wrong. 
Not one of them is wrong, but hearing and reading the word, fasting, praying, giving alms, helping the poor. Anything wrong with any of those things? Absolutely not. Except for none of those things validate your righteousness. Not one of them. You want to read the word? Read the word. Have at it. You want to give to the poor? Give to the poor. Have at it. You want to help the poor? Help the poor. Have at it. But not one of those things is going to validate your righteousness. Not one of those things makes you more righteous before God. Not one. They're all great things to do, though. It's just not God's way. Because as sure as you, as sure as you're, you know, good one day, you sure are bad the next. We all are. We all are. That's why our, our salvation doesn't depend on that. That's why our righteousness doesn't depend on that. That's a fact. But, but we got to crawl out of that mentality though somehow. we got to claw our way out of that. Because it's persistent. It is persistent to live in that. And, and it just leads to guilt and failure and shame in our life. Ultimately. And so we've got God's way. Somebody look at Matthew 5.17. Matthew 5.17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Okay, so what's the only way, the only way that we have in order to fulfill the whole law? What's the only way we have? Jesus, he's the only one that can do it. We are abject failures at it. There's no, there's no recourse for us. So it's his way or our way. Our way, we're failures. His way, done, good. Okay, Galatians 3.24. Galatians 3.24. Alright, so the law, done. Why? Christ. So then we're justified how? Faith. I, I, I know these are, these are clearly basic concepts of the gospel, and yet the lie persists, doesn't it? But these are basic concepts of the gospel. Romans one seventeen. Romans one seventeen. For in the gospel of righteousness of God is revealed, righteousness that is by faith and first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. All right. Is there, do you know of a clearer statement than that? Or does that need to be any clearer? To, from the first to the last. Where does our righteousness come from? In what? In Christ. Right. The gospel, the gospel describes the work of Christ to us. 
and describes the relationship that God's provided for with us. And so he calls on us in our own faith to obtain that righteousness through that faith and by that faith. That's it. I don't know of anything else. I don't know of anything else that works. Because, see, our way doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's never worked. That's why Jesus died on a cross. Because we couldn't do it. Starting from the Garden of Eden, when when Adam and Eve decided they were going to eat the tree of knowledge of good and evil, their way did not work. And then every way after that time did not work. It has never worked and it's never going to work. The only way that works is God's way. Our righteousness is no righteousness. The Bible describes it as filthy rags. His plan is righteousness. And that's the only way you can describe it. I mean, if you want a definition of righteousness, and there's lots of definitions out there, the basic definition of righteousness for us is God's plan. That's what it is. God's plan. So, how do we obtain righteousness? God's plan. We come on board with God's plan. That's where righteousness comes from. That's what righteousness is. It's our identification with Christ, accepting and coming on board with His plan. Submitting to His plan. That willing act of submission from our will, our plan, what we think is the right way, into God's plan, His way, and that's what works. We don't like that word submission, do we? And yet, that's the key to really redirecting our faith away from ourselves and toward Him. There's a real key to that. Of redirecting our faith away from what we can do or our ideas or about what we thought things were supposed to be and redirecting that faith right toward Jesus. That is submission. I'm submitting my ideas. I'm submitting my plan. I'm submitting my way. I'm submitting what I think is best to Jesus. And I will accept and believe His way. I mean, our way is homemade. And it persists. But it's homemade. Homemade righteousness. Homemade holiness. Homemade justifications. And, and I mean, homemade is good sometimes, but not in this case. We need a Jesus made. Right? Because it's, it's his, this is his world. This is his universe. And so we got our homemade, and the problem with our homemade righteousness is it displaces God's plan. That's the problem with it. It doesn't coexist with God's plan. But it displaces His plan in us. And so, in a very real way, we've got to really lay that aside and let it go in order for God's plan to really take effect in us. And and that's really what I want to encourage us toward tonight. Is laying aside our plan. Our homemade righteousness. Our homemade justification. Or whatever it is. And just laying that aside to make room for God's plan in us. So we can come on board with it. We need to leave behind the frustration and the judgment and the bitterness. 
We need to leave it behind. And come on board with what God has already provided. And in order to do that, you're going to have to step out of that persistent idea that it seems like the whole world believes is just wrong. It's just wrong. And, and I'm going to reiterate this. There's only one name by which the whole world can be saved. Only one. And I know that's offensive to every other religion. And that's just ignoring the fact that they believe they're the only true way to be saved. So, And they don't have any trouble telling us that. But I'm here to proclaim that there's only one name under heaven and earth by which we may be saved, and that's the name of Jesus. Period. That every single person on the face of the earth has the opportunity to come into his plan, but it is the plan of Jesus Christ alone. And so, you can't add your name onto it, you can't add any other name onto that. It's just his plan. And so I encourage you toward that tonight. Let's just take a moment and respond to that. And I'd like to give you an opportunity to lay aside some bad ideas if you need to. Maybe some bitterness if you need to. Some frustration if you need to. Some anger if you need to. And come on board with what God has. And I, I guarantee you that what you were doing wasn't working. I just know it isn't. And I know what it leads to. And everybody that tries it. Because it's been leading to the same place for thousands of years. And every single person that's ever tried it. Your ideas. Your way. Leads to bitterness. Frustration. Guilt. And shame. Heavenly Father. We ask for your relief tonight. Your relief from where we've been. And God, I pray that as we come before you right now, you would begin to cleanse us of our way. To make room for your way. Cleanse us of our bad idea to make room for your way. Cleanse us from the things that we thought to make room for your way. God, that, that you would set us free from the bondage of whatever this idea or these ideas are to make room for your way, the way of Jesus. God, as Paul spoke to these religious people 2,000 years ago, he wanted them to be free. I pray, God, that we'd be free tonight. So, Lord, we despise the shame. We lay aside the guilt. We push aside the pressure and the people with their ideas and what they want to see happen. And we submit ourselves to your way. Your way. 
your plan, how you made things. And we come into relationship, real relationship with you, partnership, life. God, I thank you that you make us righteous. I thank you that in you we are sanctified and justified and all the rest of those kind of words that we know the words. I just pray we live in it without fear. Yeah, without fear. So thanks, God. Thanks for setting us free. Thanks for teaching us that you've done it. I pray that we can come alongside and and really benefit and live in all that you've done tonight, here and now. I pray for those negative things that we've been carrying around to just fall off of us. Just like bad... uh, like a, like a snake would lose its skin, that that stuff would just fall off of us. Thank you, God. We don't need it anymore. Solidify your word in our hearts and minds. For ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Anybody have any questions or comments? Anything you'd like to ask or say? Dave? Think about it this way, uh, depending on what the relationship is between the people. So in other words, if I said to my son, son, here's a car, you want it? Think you'd take it? Yeah. Yeah. For free. Yeah. Right? No problem? Okay. So so there's a relationship there, and, and but if I made the same offer to, like you were saying, to somebody that I was acquainted with, they might not take it. And again, I think you you were alluding to the distrust, you are alluding to not understanding everything that was going on, but basically what it comes down to, do you trust the person or not? Do they have ulterior motives? Do they have something else that's going on? So, I think it boils down to relationship. In other words, what's the relationship between the person who's giving 
and the person who's receiving. And the closer that relationship is, the easier it is to receive. And the easier it is to give, too. I think. Right, or what's he going to want in the future, or, or what's this going to mean, or how's this going to play out, or whatever it is. Then I'll, yeah, I don't owe him anything then. Right. right. Yeah, but see that to me that's a that's a a lack of understanding about what the relationship is. Yeah, or, or depth of relationship in general. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, you could argue which comes first, in a sense, or is it a mutual work that takes place at the same time, or is is the closer your relationship and your trust, the the easier it is for you to receive. Yeah, but I'd have to say that if there is, I, I think there's a couple sides to this, but the example you gave would point to for some people there may just be a trust issue. And that trust issue may be a result of not really having a depth of relationship with God that a person really needs, or with Christ that a person really needs, and that might point to, well, maybe I need to spend more time with Him. Maybe I need to spend more time in fellowship, and in His presence, and in worship, and in prayer, and in the Word, and in listening, and hearing, and, and growing in that aspect of the relationship. Right. Investing into that. Yeah. Anybody else? Well, alrighty. Thank you for coming tonight. It was good to see everybody. And we look forward to seeing you again soon.